So, if you guys follow the news, which most everyone on earth follows the news more than I do, uh, I don't. I don't like the news, but sometimes you can't get away from it. There was. There's been a good story in the news the last week. Um, this gentleman in Detroit who walked to work. Uh, and I found out that his walk wasn't his entire commute. He actually walked five miles to a bus station, rode the bus for a while, then got off the bus and walked another seven miles to work. I don't know how long the bus ride was. but So he would walk ten and a half miles one direction, and he'd, so I guess five and five, not five and seven, ten and a half miles home each day. And for 12 years, he didn't miss a day of work in Detroit. <laughs> right? Uh, we're not talking about Miami. Um, so anyway, some banker guy, I don't know really what his position was. He would, he would drive to work and he saw this guy on this, this road at different positions all the time. He just saw him walking. And one day he stopped and he said, do you want a ride? And he said, yeah, I'll take a ride. So I guess for some time, I don't know, a few weeks or so, he kind of got to know him and realized that he had been doing that for, since his car died in 2005, basically couldn't afford to get another car. So he'd been doing it for 10 years, nine years at the time. Um, that that kind of blows me away right there, just the ethic. Someone would have the ethic to do that. Um, but then it gets better, so the, I guess the banker guy has a friend who works at the newspaper, and he tells him the story. The newspaper says, oh, this is a great story, publishes it. And a, a student, a college student, read it, read the paper and posted on Facebook or somewhere about this guy in Detroit who, who had been walking. And so his friends started posting, saying, hey, I want to send some money to help him. So the guy starts up this GoFundMe site and raises $300,000. The goal was 5000 Get the guy a beater, you know, something that will get him to work. And then the money just kept coming and coming and coming. And, and then uh, so, so somebody asked him on TV, what are you gonna What are you gonna buy with this money? He said, "Well, I'm kind of partial to Fords." So a Ford dealership in Detroit gets wind of this and invites him over to buy their buy a Ford there. But of course, they gifted it to him. They gave him a brand new Taurus, a thirty five thousand dollar car. Um, so it's one of these just good stories when somebody's spent a decade. You could make an argument that he's just doing what he's supposed to do. Right? He's supposed to work, so he finds a way to do it. But when you compare him to the general public, he's doing more than anyone would really expect him to do. Um, and it's good to see that get rewarded, right? So I, I just I posted that on Facebook, and I said I like this story. And someone made the comment, and I'd never thought about this way. Someone made the comment, um, it's almost as if someone has designed us to seek justice. And I've never, I had never thought about it that way. But that really was justice being done. Um, someone working hard and receiving the benefit from grace. Just grace. People being gracious. You know, I, I typically think of justice a different way. The negative side of justice. You know, um, I want justice. Let justice be done on this person. And I guess that's really what I want to talk about this morning, is this idea 
of not really justice, because that was justice in the good sense, but ourselves make, making ourselves the judge and meeting out vengeance in particular. And that's why I wanted to start in Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is an interesting psalm. Um, it's, it's pretty widely understood to carry a lot of messianic thoughts there. Not everything in there is messianic because the author says, you know, I've, I have some sins. Well, we know that that doesn't refer to Jesus. Um, and it wasn't written by Jesus. It was written by a man who had sinned, and he recognized that. But there are some things in here that, that are even applied in the New Testament to Jesus, and we'll read some of these things. Um, I'll just read a few of these verses if you want to read along. We'll start in verse 1. I'll read 1, one through 4 and then 7 through 9. Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. Dropping down to verse 7. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Now drop down to verse 14. Sorry. Verse 14. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart, so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. In this passage, there are some things that I think we can identify with Christ um, that aren't specifically identified with him in the New Testament. Verses 1 through 4, I think, express what we can see Jesus going through in the garden, what we can see him going through. Um, verses 7 through 9, the same, and, and 14 through 21. Um, it's a cry out for help. Uh, and especially these last few verses where he was given sour wine to drink, right? We know that that was a, a prophecy that was fulfilled. But also in the verses just prior to that, I looked for comfort, and there wasn't any. Um, every, everyone had abandoned him at, in his time of need. But what I want to focus on in, the, in this psalm is actually in the next few verses. Th this is what I found, I guess, interesting. Beginning in verse 22... Let their own table before them become a snare. 
And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down. And they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Now that sounds decidedly not messianic, if you ask me. Um, And I say that because I want to contrast that with a passage in Luke. If you want to turn to Luke 23... I mean, the the verses we just read make sense to us. I'll just say they make sense to me. I won't speak for you. They They make sense to me. Um, Injustice is being done upon the author. He's calling out to God. And he's not just asking for help. He's asking for help in the first verses we read. But in the in the last verses we read, he's asking asking for justice. And then I don't think that's wrong because, again, he's not meeting out justice, right? He's asking God to do it. Um, but there's a, there is a contrast between those verses and what I want to look at in Luke 23. If you go down to verse 34. Well, let's start, let's start in verse 33. Luke 23, 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. One on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. While there are some passages in Psalm 69 that are messianic, Jesus turns the tables when it comes to the reaction to the injustice that he's facing. It would have been just and right for him to quote verses 22 through 28 and say, Father, blot them out from the book of life. Father, bring their unrighteousness down upon them. Father, add punishment to their punishment for what they're doing. And in fact, what I found interesting in Psalm 69 was there was a reference that says, For they are adding scorn or are persecuting the one whom you have struck down. Right. So, why didn't Jesus say that? What, in fact, think about what he really did say. We just read it. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. 
for me, th this contrast that we see here is one of the things that defines who Jesus is. He's God who became a man. And he didn't quote Psalm 69, 22-28, as David would have. And the reason I think he didn't is because, well, let's just read it. Turn, turn to Deuteronomy 32. As you can tell, we're going to be doing a lot of reading. So I hope you, you have your Bibles. Because um, I can't say it better than the Holy Spirit. So, Deuteronomy chapter 32, look in verse 35. Here's why I say, for me, that that contrast really defines who Jesus is. Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. And he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven, and I say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of their enemy, rejoice, O nations, his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants, and will render vengeance on his adversaries, and will atone for his land and his people. The position of vengeance belongs to one, and that's God. And that's why I say this contrast between the, the end of Psalm 69 describing what I believe the Messiah was going through in the time leading up to the cross and even on the cross and what Jesus actually said when he was going through that. That contrast to me, I think, helps me define who Jesus was when he became a man. He left vengeance behind He left vengeance to God. In fact, he left it so much in God's hand that he didn't even ask for it. Because he sought the good of those who were around him. It's... It's one of the things that helped me understand what submission is. I mean, how, how does God submit to God, right? It doesn't make any sense to me. But when God the Son decides to take on the role of man 
right? And then I understand what submission is when I see examples like this. He chooses to not exercise authority of God. He chooses to not take the place of God. He understands the things that belong to God and he leaves those things to God. God in the flesh did that. Now we're not there yet, but what I'm trying to set up is if God in the flesh can do that and if God in the flesh chose to do that, what responsibility do you think we have to do that? Having never been God, having never resided in heaven, should we not even more leave those things to God? So I asked James to read um, John chapter 12. If you want to turn back there, we'll, we'll refresh our, our thoughts on that. I think this shows Jesus' understanding of his role as a man. In John 12, verse 47, Jesus says, if any, And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him when? In the last day. Not today. Jesus left judgment and vengeance to his Father while he was in this flesh. He understood his role was not the role of the Father when he was in the flesh. His role was to save and not to judge. So this is my first point, and I've I've already made it, but I want to drive it home. Vengeance is not ours to deal out. Period. If Jesus can restrain himself as one who possessed the authority to mete out vengeance, then we who have no authority must restrain ourselves from vengeance. He did it. He gave us the example as someone who had that authority. And Philippians 2 says he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. I'm not going to be the one who meets out vengeance anymore. I'm not going to be the one who speaks on my own authority. Right? We're reading John, right? That's one of the themes throughout John is I don't do this on my authority. I don't speak the words that I want to speak. I speak the words that are given to me. That's not because he didn't have the authority. He had the authority. But he emptied himself of it. Now, if he can do that, then we need to follow that pattern. In fact, it's really not even a pattern because there's nothing for us to empty ourselves of. <laughs> we don't possess that authority. But boy, we'll sure grab it, won't we? We'll seize it. And that's, and that's the danger. You know, I'm, I'm going to be just frank with you. The reason I don't mete out vengeance as often 
as I could is just because I really don't have the authority. And I'm not saying that to boast. I'm just being honest and frank. That is not obedience. And I I say that because I'm asking you to think about yourselves as well. Leaving vengeance to God isn't just the, the state of not having the opportunity. Well, I don't have the power, I don't have the authority to really mete out vengeance, but boy, if I did, I sure would. That's not leaving it to God. That's just lacking the opportunity. And that's my problem, right, is the attitude that underlies it. Is if I had the authority, I would do it more. Now, I know I need to solve that, but I'm looking back at my past. And that's just the fact. Right? So, I challenge you to look at yourselves as well. And are you comfortable in this lack of vengeance just because you haven't had the opportunity or because you really don't possess the attitude, which is where we need to be? Vengeance is not mine. When I think it, when I want it, when I desire it, when I grab a hold of it, I'm putting my pl- myself in the place of God. Now, I don't mean we shouldn't desire justice, right? That was why I told this story up front. Is We see something good, and we want that person rewarded. We see something bad, and we want that person punished. But when I want to be the punisher, when I want to be the judge and jury, when I want to pass the sentence, I'm now putting myself in God's place. I'll give you a simple example. Kind of of silly, but... um, My last two years in high school were spent at a a boarding school. It's a public boarding school, but you lived on campus. And one weekend a month, they closed all the doors and locked all the doors, so you had to go home. You couldn't stay there all the time. One weekend a month, they forced everyone out of the dorms. So at the end of one of these weekends, I'm driving my giant orange van, 1977 Dodge, with balloons painted on the side. <laughs> I had one. Shag carpet interior. Driving that to high, back to high school. <laughs> and I'm doing pretty good with the speed. I'm not, you know, going crazy. But here comes one of my buddies from my hall. He lives on the same floor as me. Just screaming by me, honking his horn, waving. And I just, oh, I couldn't, I knew I couldn't overtake him, so I said, well, I'll just see him when I get there. Well, just a couple miles down the road, there's the blue lights. Sitting right behind him. (laughs) He's pulled over, and I'm just, you know, I'm on cloud nine. Because I didn't have to break the law to get to campus before he did. And so I was waiting for him when he got there, right? And I was just gloating about the whole thing. Well, I mean, I wish I had been that cop, right? I mean, at that moment, that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy who pulled him over and said, you know, and I, and I hope, and I was thinking, man, I hope he got a really big ticket. You know, I hope it just, you know. I mean, I was, it was, 
I wanted to be the judge. I wanted to be the officer. I wanted to be involved in every bit of meeting out because it felt good, right? It was like, because he had done something to me, you know, honking the horn and whatever, and, and so I wanted to respond, right? Um, but I didn't have the authority to do it. There was nothing I could do, right? And that sense of helplessness and powerlessness just adds salt into the wound, right? Well, what if I had never opened the wound in the first place and had never had that attitude in the first place? Then that feeling of helplessness or powerlessness would never have come. So... That's a small example of something that I think can get out of hand. When maybe someone does something to us that really does hurt us. I mean, this is playful, right? This is two high school kids just jabbing at each other. But there are things that happen to us, um, and I don't even mean things that are accidental. I mean things that you want to get revenge for. Someone purposefully targeted you, knew what would hurt you, and hurt you. Those are not so trivial. But if you don't take care of this kind of attitude in the small things, when that happens, you're not going to have control of it. You're going to want vengeance. And even if you don't have the power to execute it, it's going to fester you're going to have that feeling of helplessness. You're going to have that feeling of powerlessness. Because you want to be God and you're not. So don't even open the wound. Right? You know, okay, so why are we even like this? Right? We talked about the good earlier. You know, we're like God and we understand the idea of justice. God has given us that. There's nothing wrong with having a sense of justice, with good and, and the bad, right? Um, we want to see things just. The bad is, we're not like God in lots of ways. We don't see the whole picture. We don't see the whole story. Um, oftentimes, our judgment is clouded by emotions. And sometimes when we think we're fair, we're really not fair. It's a, it's a self-justification to say, well, I'm, I'm being fair about it. Um, that may be true, but probably not. God is. He's just. He knows when to mean out vengeance. So there's, there's the good and the bad, but it's something that we have. We're made in His image. And that's what submission is. Is not seizing something that belongs to someone else and submitting and giving it to that person. Vengeance is God's. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Just have a couple more passages, but I wanted to bring this up. Matthew 5, we'll, we'll start in verse 38, but I want to ask you a question. What can't you do when you're all caught up in vengeance? I mean, that, let's look at it from the other side. 
There's a lot of things you can't do when you're caught up in vengeance. Look, look in verse 38 of Matthew 5. I mean, we, we've talked about either this passage or passages all around it almost every class. Um, the Sermon on the Mount keeps coming up and coming up and coming up. Jesus says, beginning in verse 38, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. We can't do any of these things. We cannot do any of these things if we are wrapped up in vengeance. And these are not suggestions. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, I think this would be a good idea. He says, do this. It's a command. I mean, sometimes we look at these things and say, well, they're, yeah, they're commands, but I mean, good grief. I mean, I, I can't really do that. Well, then we have some work to do. But they're commands nonetheless. It doesn't change the nature of the command. But if we're putting our, ourselves in the place of judge and God and jury, and we're, we are identifying the vengeance that needs to be carried out, and we are passing sentence, and we are trying to execute those things, we can't do this because we want to get revenge for the slap in the face. We want to get revenge for the suit that takes our shirt. Right? We want to have someone else carry an extra mile because that's fair. Right? Jesus doesn't say here that these things are fair. I mean, he doesn't try to say that they're fair. He says this is our role because we're not God. So, the second point I want to make, and then we'll be done, is that we need to not just abstain from vengeance and just lock ourselves in a room and say, well, I'm not being vengeful. We need to replace vengeance with love. We have to replace it. And that's what Matthew 5 is talking about. That person who slapped you in the face should be an object of love for you. And if that person is an object of vengeance for God, that's up to God. That's not up to you. That person who forces you to go two miles, well, that person is an object of love for you. 
not an object of vengeance for you. What God does is up to God. He has already told you, vengeance is mine. That's what you're at. So you can't seize it. It's his. Let's read one passage, one more passage, and then we'll be done. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. just say that um, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul kind of is drawing a conclusion. He says, therefore, I urge you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Well, now I think in the rest of the chapter, he's going into some details about how to do that. Beginning in verse 14 of Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can sit around all day and say it's hard to replace vengeance with love. But there's lots of ways to do it. And you know, I'm not going to say that it's easy, but it, there are lots of opportunities for us to do it. Um, and if this is hard, too hard, if you say that this is too hard for you, not hard, but too hard, then I, I, my recommendation for you is to think more about the cross. Um, Jesus bled for some pretty nasty people. And that includes us. When we didn't deserve it. So we can follow that same example. Um, And because vengeance is God's, He will meet it out on the last day, as we just read. Jesus said there is a judge in the last day, and it's the words that He spoke. So if you have any question about your standing before him right now, get that straightened out. If you don't know what you need to do, ask somebody here. We're not going to tell you what we think. We're going to open up the Bible. And, and that appeal is for Christians and non-Christians. If you don't know your standing before God or you want to be sure of your standing before God. Let's sit down with the Bible and find out what you need to do. Josh is going to lead us in a song.